Welcome to the Teacher's Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thank you for listening. In this episode, I talked with Andrew Midgley, an experienced head teacher who has a track record of taking schools from special measures to good. We've deep dived into what it takes to turn a school around and the elements needed for a successful school. So obviously, this is a great episode for anyone in leadership or looking to move into it in the future. But as I often tell my guests, and it's usually head teachers, who are worried that they have nothing valuable to share, teachers are not able to rock up in their head teacher's office and ask them all the burning questions that they have about the bigger picture stuff. It just doesn't work like that. They don't have the time, both parties that is, and sometimes they just can't share or won't even. In some ways, These conversations are such a helpful fly-on-the-wall insight for all school staff to hear about the things from a different perspective and increase their understanding of education, schools and how children learn and sometimes just people in general. Andrew told me that since being approached about being on the podcast by one of my colleagues and his ex-colleagues, he's listened to a number of episodes of the Teachers Podcast and shared them with staff because they have such valuable information. So obviously... This made my little heart smile. Um, Thank you, Andrew, for sharing this with me. But it made me think too, that it's important that I encourage you to share the episodes with your colleagues, especially if you're in leadership. I often give my management team podcast homework that they do when they're on a run or walking the dog or on their commute, etc. It just makes us all knowledgeable and ultimately better. So let's get to the interview and don't forget to share it so your friends and colleagues can hear the good stuff too. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. I love having all the Yorkshire flavours. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just feeling really at home. So you've actually been in touch with one of our members of staff, Lisa. Mm. Um so I think you used to work together and um, you have a lot of things to share with us. So how about we just get straight into your, your whole backstory, tell me everything of how you came to be right now. Right. Well, my dad is a traditional Yorkshireman mm-hmm. uh, and my mum came over from Poland when she was 15 with very little English, having to learn GCSE. So she didn't have the sort of background of qualification. So mm-hmm. when I was born many years later... Um, I was born into the family where my dad was the first person in our family to get an education. My mum had come over with no education and was making herself into something. And she didn't want to work in the path lab in the hospital where she wanted to have been germs for me and my brother. So they, she retrained to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. She was secondary school physics and then maths at King James's wow. in Holly High School. Mm-hmm. And my dad, um, he was a head of maths, then a deputy head, and then a head of Hathershaw and Failsworth, I think they were over in Oldham. And then he went to be an inspector in Bradford. So there was absolutely no way I was ever setting foot in a classroom, having seen how much (laughs) marking and planning they did. My dad in his room, my mum in her room, um, marking books. My auntie was a teacher, my other auntie was a nursery nurse. I was not having anything to do with education. So because both my grandfathers were engineers, I did an engineering degree down in Birmingham. 
And uh, three hour lectures about grinding wheels mm -hmm. slightly put me off engineering. Um, so then I took a year out to discover myself and as you do I worked in a bingo hall in a lighting warehouse All right, yeah. so I learned how to pack boxes very well mm -hmm. and call numbers to old ladies it was fab um, then my girlfriend at the time she had a little boy uh, summer born um, dad wasn't really interested in his development and education side of things and he was falling behind mm -hmm. and I just thought I spent a bit of time with him read with him and at the parents evening <coughs> excuse me at the parents evening he was doing really well and I thought well, I'll give it a whirl for a couple of years. Did a PGC at Bradford and never looked back, really. Mm. I suppose you could say I was a bit of a um, bit of a tart in my early years. I did. I started off in a year five, six class. In at the, talk about in at the deep end, I had 36 year five, sixes. Uh, mixed class where the teacher had been off on long-term sick the year before mm. in a school that on my first week is an NQT, where there was no NQT time, no PPA time, oh. and two hours of a TA for the whole week. <gasps> the school had an offset inspection and went into a, I went into a category. Welcome to the life of teaching. Yeah. So um, I got some good grades from the Ofsted inspector. And um, again, like I said, there was no PPA time, no NQT time, 36 kids. It was very challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did two years there and the school came out. And back then you got a little award, a, a bursary. It was shared across the staff. So I got a little monetary reward, oh, 100 wow. quid or so for being yeah. part of the team to get out special measures. And I wanted a key stage one experience, but the head couldn't give me that. So I moved to Kirklees. Mm -hmm. So I went to Dalton. And I did two years in year two, and then I moved to year six, um, which is where my strength lie, I think. And then there was a change of headship. Denise left and a new chap came in. And I just thought, I don't really want to work for you. I didn't agree with his views and philosophies, which is mm -hmm. the case in a lot of instances. And uh, so I moved on. You and have to align with the values, don't you? Correct. And again, what I forgot is Dalton, in the time of me getting a job during that summer term, went into special measures. Mm -hmm. So I've gone from one special measure school on that journey to another special measure school, which we did that journey whilst I was yeah, there. Yeah. So that's my experience as a teacher. Yeah. Then I went to Berkeley Junior School. I had a fabulous time there, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for her, great news. The head went off to her on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. The school was in special measures again. Mm -hmm. uh, Anne Jones, who was fantastic, came over from Berkeley Infants and was acting head. The deputy head went on long-term sick, and in my sixth year of teaching, it was Andrew, we need you to be the acting deputy. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. It was a junior school, there was teachers ready to retire, there was inadequate teachers and there was NQT, so it was yeah. like sink or swim. Yeah. So I was in year six for two years there. It was acting for two years. By then I'd had my second child, well me personally, we'd had our second child and I wanted something permanent because I didn't want to drop back onto the teaching scale, having experienced the sort of the nice wages that go with being a deputy back then. Mm -hmm. And so I applied for a permanent deputy headship uh, back in Calderdale, so I've gone back across the border again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to an outstanding school, my first taste of an outstanding school, Parkinson Lane, where I had two fabulous years there working with uh, an inspirational head. And we went to, we were the fourth group in the world ever to dance in the Louvre Museum. Oh, we danced wow. under the Eiffel Tower, Hero dancing. Um, we played football against teams in Belgium and stuff, so we gave yeah. our children experiences. Yeah. Um, a lot of multicultural side of things about what it is to be a British Muslim. It was fantastic ideas. And then on, I got offered the secondment for the headship at Deanfield, just up the road here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was the bottom of the league. Yeah, bottom of the league table. Only 142 kids on roll. 55 exclusions the year before I started there. And after two applications, two rounds of application, no, no one had applied for the job. Hmm. So I was seconded across um, for a year, which then became permanent, and I stayed from 2007 for seven years. One of the best things that happened whilst I was there was um, I worked very closely with Ash Green and Mungo because David became like an executive head across the two, David Kirk. Mm -hmm. 
And I think all new heads need some kind of stabilizers like yeah. you do when you're riding a bike. Yeah. And that was vital to me because I was 32, you know, yeah. thrown into the most challenging school in the, in, in the authority. It's like, there yeah. you go. He was, he was a lifesaver because mm. it can be a lonely job being a head at times. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, in my first couple of years of head teacher, I, I learned about dis disciplinary investigations, staffing restructures, um, tribunals, um, and all this side of things. But then we went from strength to strength. And by the time I left in 2012, we were good with outstanding. Um, we got an award, which is probably my proudest moment of being a head teacher, really. We got an award um, from the Secretary of State, Nick Gibbs, for being in the top 50 schools in England for sustained improvement. Wow. We're actually number 39, we're in the top 40. Um, so we had a little celebration of staff because we did a lot of things with staff, some yeah. of the things I picked up with Gugsy. And then I moved to Leeds to work for a big multi-academy trust. And there was a ridiculous salary attached with something. I just thought, oh, that sounds good. And it was a, a, a new school, a bigger challenge, because that was one form entry was Dean Field. I did a year and a term and decided that that wasn't the role for me. And uh, I had two fantastic terms then. One was supporting Leeds in a school where the head had been suspended. And I did a term there. And then the other one, I was a consultant and I could choose to work two or three days a week and spend time with my girls as they were growing up. And it was fab. And then I became the substantive head at Rainville, where I am now in 2012. Mm -hmm. um, no, just after that, 2014. I've been there since, and I'm technically at the minute, although I'm still a substantive head there, I am the interim head teacher at Carling Howe Princess Royal Junior Infant and Nursery School in Kirklees. That's again another school in special measures which needs turning around, um, which is challenging. I've lost yeah. sleep, I've lost a toenail, but we're all yeah. on the journey to, to being great. But you've got such an amazing and varied background. So I've got so many questions for mm. you on that. Um, so my iPad's not playing either. Um, so I'm trying to get, so let me do the questions backwards. So you, you just mentioned all the things that, that you've learned. I find that really interesting. So, you know, you've learned how to do um, disciplinaries, all those kind of things. Mm. And, and I think the fact that you've kind of cited that means that you're very open to the challenge because I kind of feel like that here sometimes, you know, you're faced with challenges, but you think, oh, well, the positive is we can now do that and we can now go through that process. Mm. So I guess that must be helpful to you. It, it is. I mean, <clears throat> one of the biggest helps was learning from some fantastic head teachers that I've worked mm. for. And sort of, I, I like to see myself as an amalgamation of a few different head teachers, the yeah. good points that I've picked up off and put yeah. together. Um, and then knowing that I can call on them if I need to for a bit of advice. Mm -hmm. And then learning that number one comes first to his children, number two is children, and number three is children. That's that's my philosophy at the minute. And you know, if it's, if it's not right for them, if it's not right for my daughter in the class, if, if I won't put my daughter in that room or that room or with that teacher, then I need to do something about it. Mm. First and foremost, what can I do to support the teacher, to help the teacher to, to improve things? Mm. But then if there's something that's an issue, the structure's not right, there's a, a, an issue with capability, there's, in one case, a, a teacher bullying children, mm. I cannot have that because I don't like bullying. Both of my daughters at different points, one in reception, one last year, were bullied. Yeah. And I'm a, I am say to my kids at school, I'm six foot three. If you're going to bully anyone, bully me. And if you don't want to bully me, then don't. Yeah. But yeah, having a, a wealth of experience in my first headship meant that I could tackle a lot of problems in, this, in sort of reciprocal ones. And then also provide support to other head teachers. Because mm. what, what I mentioned as well is also the, that's how I met Lisa. I was the... Executive head, in my time at Deanfield, I supported Abbey Park when they lost their head and became an academy. Yeah. And I also supported at Mount Pelham 
Mm-hmm. So having those experiences to draw on was very useful. Yeah. Uh, and it's about eating the frog, um, which is if you had to eat a frog every day for the rest of your life to survive, when would you eat it? Well, the answer is first thing in the morning, because otherwise it just grows and gets smellier and sweatier. Ugh. You get on with it. So these difficult jobs, you have yeah. to do them. Just do them. Yeah, you get on with them. Mm. Yeah. And you've, you know, we've worked at a lot of the same, a lot of the same schools. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're listening and you're not kind of from Calderdale or or Kirkley's. So many schools in Calderdale and Kirklees. Um, so, you mentioned then that both your teach, uh, both your parents were teachers. Yes. Um, and you've also mentioned that they did a lot of work at home. Mm-hmm. Do you think the workload has increased? Has it changed at all? Um, I like your life work balance thing as well. I think, mm-hmm. that's uh, I think it's it goes cyclically. cyclically. Yeah. In a cycle. Uh, I remember when I trained to teach how teachers used to plan and then it changed and it was all about the topic and you branch out from it and then it became, no, it's numerous in literature, then it became topic again. It will come back round and round and round again. Mm. I think the workload is always going to be of a particular level in a school, but it's about making sure that it's appropriately manageable. Not having meetings because on Thursday you always have a meeting. If there's nothing to meet for that Thursday, do not have a meeting because time is one of the most valuable commodities in a school. Yeah. I think marking has to be done, but how does it has to be done? I used to take home <clears throat> our first house when my girls were little. We had an all open plan downstairs, and I used to take home as a deputy two big bags of books and sit down and put them on the dining room table, and it's right it's time to eat them, pack them up, and then get them out yeah. again. Well, I don't want my teachers to have to take books home. Yeah. The workload has to be managed, and again, I come back to my one, two, and three, which is children, children, children. If the teachers are happy because they've not got this ex- exorbitant workload and they're working very well, then they're teaching better and the kids are doing better, yes, yes. which will impact positive. Everything sort of spirals, attendance gets better, behaviour gets better. So managing the workload, um, I will do what I can to manage their workload and see what we can do. Uh, schools where I've worked at where I've felt happiest is where the heads appreciated that. Schools where I've worked at, because I've worked in quite a few, as you've heard, where either staff morale is low or I felt unvalued is where it's like, well, you need to do this and I want your planning in the black file file by the photocopier every Monday morning and I want this yeah. and I want that and I want this and it's just ridiculous demands. You know, one school, why do we put the, fo- the, folder, the, the planning in the photocopy room by the black folder every Monday? Because we've always done that. Mm. But what is the purpose? Yeah. The what, the what if, the so what? If there isn't one, don't do it. Yeah, and you have to, <clears throat> you have to be able to think think outside that box and, and be able to make changes and for people to to be happy for you to do that if it's going to sort of be yes. an improvement. Um, and that can be difficult, yes. <laughs> leading groups of people through change. Um, so how do you think the varied experiences helped you then? So I've spoken to quite a lot of head teachers and, and um, in fact, I can't remember if it, was, if it was on the podcast or not. I remember having a conversation with someone where... It, oh, I think it was Anna Lucas, where it can be difficult sometimes for head teachers because they've had a lot of Key Stage 2 experience, no Key Stage 1 experience, mm-hmm. and then they're hoping that they've got somebody that they can draw on when it comes to things like continuous provision in year one because my daughter's three now. She's at nursery school, and the stuff that she tells me that they do, I think, ah, oh, that's really good continuous provision, and we're doing a lot of work on that here. Um, whereas my nephew, I'll tell you after which school it goes to, um, they don't do continuous provision and he's in year one and mm. I know that he would really benefit from that um, so I think how how has it helped you sort of having the broad experience rather than having to really draw on somebody if you see what I mean I do. For, for, your, for your early years and key stage one experience I, I do and, and that's why 
I moved from where I was at Withenfields to Dalton because I could move from Key Stage 2 to Key Stage yeah. 1. So that was um, a very strategic thing in your career to yeah, do. Yeah, I was conscious that I wanted to be able to... I didn't one day necessarily want to be the head teacher. Mm. I was only doing it for a few years, if you recall, just yeah. to see how I was going. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, look at me now. Um, but I, I decided that it was something I wanted to do because if I was going to lead a subject, I want, I'm passionate about mathematics. And if I was going to lead something like that, you know, my, my brother did a maths degree and he's an accountant and he's getting mega books and he's fantastic at his job. Mm. I've not done it for the money. I've done it for what I like. And the uh, if I'm going to be able to teach mathematics and lead it across a school, I need to know what it's like to teach it year one, year two and yeah. year five and six. Yeah. So I started off in five, six and moved down. And then I predominantly sort of flitted between three and, and six. Mm. Um, I've done the odd day in reception and nursery, but I will never profess to be an EYFS expert. Yeah. However, at Deanfield and where I am now, that's, those are outstanding grades. Mm. I'd like to be able to say, yes, it's because of me. No, it's not. It's, it's First of all, I can draw on those experiences, and those are very, very valuable. When I go into a school, I'm able to understand what's the difference between key stage one, key stage two, how it should look in key stage one, what, what the development should like, yeah. the progression, whether you're doing it phonics in year one, end of year two sets, and so on. Um, but I've never been an expert in phonics. I've relied on somebody or been able to source the right colleagues, friends. My foundation stage manager, Faye, is fabulous, mm. and she's supporting other schools doing phonics through the English hub that I'm... Yeah. skip the part of and it's through people like that that I'm able to develop that outstanding practice because I kind of know the theory yeah. but I've never done it in practice yeah. you know I'd have to spend a lot of time wearing my knees out kneeling down down there yeah. for me yeah. but the journey the journey all the way through my first headship at Dean Field I started in I left when the reception cohort that started on the same day as I went through so I could honestly say those children had had their school life at primary school with, yeah. with, with my leadership as it were so there's 100% accountability to that, whereas there's less accountability to the older year groups. Yeah. Um, and I believe massively, even though I'm not an expert in it, that you've got to get it right at early years. Yeah. And this provision in year one and the transition from early years to year one, yeah. you nail that and the rest of the school life's relatively easy in yeah. comparison. But having a, a wealth of experience, and again, the schools that I've worked at, the types of schools, an EAL school, a white school, an outstanding school, um, a special measure school, that's massive because everybody's working hard but it's how hard, in what way they're working. Yes, the they've thing. got to do it differently, haven't we? Yes. Depending on the needs of the, sometimes the needs of the parents rather than the needs of the children. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like, you know, having those different experiences probably really put you in a really good position to mm -hmm. to think of things um, sort of more of a long-term kind of problem-solving kind of yeah. stance. Um, okay. So, something that you mentioned when we were talking on the phone before, because we were having a uh, phone call before, was about high-quality PPA. Yes. Um, and so, you said that you ensure that teachers have high-quality PPA. What is that? Um, well, I mean, I just became a deputy head at the time when PPA was coming into existence, and it was like this new thing and revolutionary thing. And I remember, although I was a deputy head, so I was part of the leadership team, I got one afternoon for PPA and one afternoon for leadership time, and I never got any of them, either of them. Yeah. It was always, right, this needs challenging, this needs doing, pick up this, cover this, teacher do this. Yeah. And although it had just come in, I never lost it in a sense. I never gained it. Yeah. And then when I, when I started at Deanfield, that was one form entry, and then I moved on to two form entry schools. And you can see... First of all, it's really good if we were both year six colleagues to be able to work together. You mm -hmm. might have a, a strength in literacy, whereas I've got a strength in mathematics. Yeah. Although you'll plan for your class because they're different, yeah. we can do that work together. 
And what I've, what I've sort of honed in over the years is how I do that, thinking about, again, experiences I've had working with other head teachers. So at Rainville now, <clears throat> on one afternoon or one morning, the two year six, the two year five, whatever teachers will have the time together. It's been difficult when, for example, in year one, I've got some fabulous teachers, but they're a pain in some respects because one's front half of the week, one's back half of the week. Ah, uh, yeah. So they have to be Wednesday. Yeah. And then one's this and one's... So you have to match up those kind of things, but it's, it's like a jigsaw. You just need to make sure you solve the problem. Yeah. Um, but having that high quality BB and making sure, okay, you can occasionally use your book, di- giving it to them, dedicating it to them, not directing them what you must do during that PPA time. Mm. Now, my staff meetings, I, uh, um, at, the, at the minute, they're not all accounted for. So I know what that one is. That's a safeguarding one. That one's this, that one's that. But then at the end of every term, although the A for PPA is assessment... I try and dedicate a staff meeting to assessment so you've got that time to do yes. it whilst the deputy's there, whilst everybody's out of class there. Mm-hmm. So you're not always having to spend an afternoon inputting it on Target Tracker or an Excel mm-hmm. spreadsheet or whatever it is that you may be because that's that's the outcome. Yeah. That's not what you what, what you need yeah. it for. And again, if, if, if the teachers want to go and visit somewhere, do something, learn from something, they can do that. They also know in my school if they're struggling, whether it's um, one of my Teach First students who's come through who needs a bit of time for a dissertation, or whether it's someone who's just got something going on and they just need a little bit of time, they can talk to my deputies and negotiate a little bit of extra support time because they don't have to lose the PPA time to go to solve a problem or to to do do something. And then we also have the one-to-one marking time. So as well as PPA, where they can just purely focus on making sure that the planning's there, the assessment's there, they've got a room to do it in and so on, they also have... A dedicated hour of um, one-to-one marking time so it's all good we talked about marking workload earlier you're marking a book how much better is it to sit down with Jeff or Bob sit down here and go through with them mm. their piece of work how it could be edited. not tell them what to do but guide them why they like this sentence yeah. why that's good so they can see rather than just a tick what what was that tick for and we found that our writing results have doubled yes. um, in the three years that we've been trying all of this um, and, and it's had a massive, massive impact on, again, the children's understanding. When Ofsted came in December 17, December 18, um, they were amazed by how much the children understood about the marking and what they got out of it as well. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, you're talking about that and it sounds like a great idea. And then I think back to my, I can remember being in year six and the, um, the teacher would call you up and I think she probably ticked or crossed, but I remember particularly maths. And you never got any written no. feedback, but she would tell you. Now, mm. I couldn't tell you what those things were, but obviously at the time I knew what that was. And I suppose we kind of take that for granted. But then I remember when I was in the classroom as a teacher, it was like everyone has to be sat at a table and you don't, nobody moves yeah. from that. And you have to work with one group each each day and you know if you're caught my I remember being on supply and thinking all right I'll just tick a book and somebody coming in and thinking oh no I've t- How dare a you tick a book. yeah that kind of thing it's the same I, I was observed and and, and uh, I was asked why, why were you sat with say the zebra group mm-hmm. um and how come you moved over to the red group what, what were you doing then I said well the zebra group were fine and they need to learn a bit of independence although I'm guiding them supporting them and extending yeah. them I knew they were in a good place my TA was working with the spotted group whatever you want to yeah. call them and I just went to check on what they were doing because you can do that quickly in over oh that's fabulous a really good sentence don't forget or oh, remember last time you said you were going to look at some adjectives have yeah. you included those and it's just these little quick prompts as you go yeah. around and I, I like that live marking thing and I remember standing by Mrs. Tovey's desk similar thing with the alpha and the beta math yeah, books yeah. and you stood there 
those ticks and cross and you got that verbal feedback yeah. instantly and off you go. And you're out to have a line of cue at a yes, desk there. Yeah, there you're not, it's that balance between having a cue and sitting at your desk. Yeah. But having that ability to be able to roam around and knowing your class and it's having the trust in the teacher. Yeah. You know what works best for your class. Yeah. So you need to be able to do that. If you're, it's, the, it's what the results. I've seen a teacher that sits at a desk and talks a lot. But the, the the results that they get are just as good as the teacher that jumps on a desk, wears shorts all day long and bounces around like Tigger. Yeah. It's the, it's the outcome that you're wanting, not necessarily the journey that you get there. Yeah, and sometimes you just have to look a little bit deeper, don't you, to find that. Correct. Um, yeah, because I, when I was on supply, I remember, um, especially because they'd not left work, which I actually liked because it's easier to deliver what you believe in yourself. And so, you know, we'd have work and things and I'd go around the, the classroom and I would I would mark as I went. Mm-hmm. And then... and. Actually, that helped them do better work anyway. Um, and now, now, obviously, that would be condoned. Whereas at the time, I was like, please don't catch me. But I want to go home at four o'clock. Yes, I have a life. Yeah, I've got a life. Yeah. <laughs> this is why yeah. I'm doing supply. All my maths lessons are marked in the lesson. All my maths books are marked in the lesson. Yeah. Done. You need, you need to be able to do some of that. Otherwise, you are just going to be marking every night for hours and hours, aren't you? Yes. So you've touched on this a bit already, but you might want to add to it. So how do you ensure that your staff get a life-work balance, a good life-work balance? Trust and communication, I think, are key. You know, I trust my staff to know, and they trust me to know that I've got their back. You know, we, we, by communicating and saying what's going on in their life, you know, I've just got um, two new dads at school. Mm-hmm. One's a teacher, one's a HLTA. He's currently on paternity leave. Um, and it's about making sure that when they come back, they're not worried about what's happening back at home. Yeah. You know, one that's his second child, the other one is his first child. And that first child, I can't, I can't forget, Bethany's 17 now, but going yeah. all the way back. So they need to know that I'm there for them, that you're keen and you're interested. And, you know, I don't want them to have meetings that go on. I remember one school I worked at, we had leadership team meetings that went on past seven o'clock at night. Oh. But that's what worked at that school and it worked very well. And we also yeah. got, got takeaways in, and the, the staff morale was good because it actually worked well. Because yeah. other days you could come and go whenever. Mm. What, what I say to my staff, because on, on a Monday and a Tuesday, I was telling you earlier, I go to Burnley. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a wonderful place, you must visit it. <laughs> Um, my, do- my daughter's training at cheerleading and street dance, so I drive there twice a week. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't leave school too late, otherwise I miss the rush hour traffic to, to home and then the yeah, rush hour yeah. traffic there. But I'm there at seven in the morning. That's because I hit the M62. Yeah. Um, so my, it's about having that. One of my deputies is an early bird. One of my mm-hmm. deputies is not. But that works very well because there's always somebody around at the front and the back yes. end of the day. Yeah. But that's the same for teachers. I'm not bothered if you're marking... I don't want them marking books at home and planning at home. But I'm not bothered if you want to take those jobs and do them at home at eight o'clock at night because you're seeing your kids first yeah. kids yeah. are a priority they're only young once you know and, and 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 you've got to you've got to talk about that and again there is a book which says the, the guy the hr guy that says you're not allowed time off for this you know only if someone yeah. this person dies and that person dies and all these other things again those people that you know go the extra mile when you say look i need you to do an extra prayer time duty today because so-and-so's off will you just help me out and they just go yeah of course i will they know that if they say look can i nip up, can i just come in a little bit later on this day because it's my son or daughter's nativity yeah. technically you would say no you can't you must fill in a form is yeah. it paid or unpaid i think there's got to be some give and take and that's about professionalism trust yeah. and relationships i've not seen any of my daughters but thankfully it, during the day but thankfully the school they had it did evening performances mm-hmm. um but you know, your sports days. I've never seen my girls do a sports day. I've heard all about them. Mm. But I think it's important to be able to have those little opportunities. But yeah. again, kids one, two and three at my school come first as long as they're appropriately sorted yeah. out. I teach still as a head teacher. Yeah. So I can cover some of these things. Yeah. And I, and I think that's so important. And 
something we think about a lot from a HR point of view. It's like, if you can do it and it's not going to affect the company too much or the school too much, then it's something that you should consider. You know, mm-hmm. if that could be done in four days rather than five days, then then consider it yeah. because it's really easy to go, well, no, you're not allowed to leave here. I've heard, I've seen so many things on social media where we're not allowed to leave school before half past five. Yeah, but why though? Because when you've picked your child up then from childcare that you've got to pay for as well, then you might see them for half an hour. But yeah. if you want to do that work in an evening so that you can spend three solid hours with your children, then why can't you do that? Because the children at school don't need you then. No. Well, this is it. As long as, you know, the, you know, we have clubs run every night. So as long as there's somebody there of a, of a particular mm. seniority to make sure there's an issue with safeguarding, all that side of things, that has to be dealt with in our breakfast club, someone there from eight. But if, if your class has gone home and you're not needed, do you need to be at school? No. If you want to be at school, fine. Mm. But then if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your kids have grown up and left the house or if you just don't want to see your kids that night <laughs> yeah. or if you don't have kids... Stay at school and do a bit whatever you need to do. It. It's mm-hmm. not. A, it's not a nine till three. My brother used to wind me up so much saying, "Oh, nine till three and thirty weeks holiday. You part timer." Yeah, yeah. You know, he understands how hard the graft is, but you know that's banter between brothers. Yeah, isn't of it? course. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. If I, if I can do anything and it's appropriate, I will do. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about schools being in special <coughs> measures, measures yep. to then not in special measures. How would you turn a school around? Graft. Um, uh, I was listening to a couple of podcasts ago when when um, you were talking about behaviour. That is key. Yeah. Every school I've worked at that's been in special measures, whether it's ones that I've been employed at or ones that I've been to support, there's common themes, and that's about behaviour and respect, and not just from it's from both ways. You know, I've seen some adults speak to children in an appalling manner yeah. and uh, shouting. I, I I try at my school where I'm the substantive head, we don't shout. If there's an emergency and someone's about to fall out, not the fall out of a window, but you know, do something that could hurt them, there'll be a quick shout to stop something. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe in berating somebody, and certainly not publicly. There's no need for that. Mm-hmm. I have shouted in the past, and I've learned that there's, what's the impact of it. Mm-hmm. And I shout maybe three or four times a year, but that's a need rather than this constant shouting in the background. Yeah, yeah. It so, becomes pointless, doesn't it, if you have to do does. it all the time? It does. It's just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of these children, especially in the kind of schools that I work at with high levels of deprivation and so on, that, that might be all they get at home. And I yeah. see so many kids being picked up. Why didn't you do this fast? And get over here, get on the curve. Come on, get home. Come on, yeah. get over here, you know, my hand. And, yeah. and our kids, we're killing them with kindness. Yeah. It's, it's one, of, one of my mottos, kill them with kindness, because they need to have that. So the first thing is you need to challenge the behaviour. I lost mm. a toenail challenging our 17 stone year five child um, because he didn't like the fact that I wasn't allowing him to run down the corridor to be first for dinner. Well, his class wasn't first for dinner. He needs to wait. And mm. it's about respect, respect for yourself. Yeah. Respect for the other pupils, respect for staff, and staff respect for other pupils and yeah. for each other as well. Yeah. You know, you've got to be, you've got to work with your colleagues. You don't have to be best friends and go to the house with tea, but no. you've got to have that professional working relationship. Yeah. So sorting out that sort of respect, attitude, and behaviour is, is is a key thing. I started as the interim head two, the week before we broke up for Christmas, um, and I was kicked, punched, spat at, all sorts of things because of. Not because the children were like that, but because the children had been allowed to behave like that yes. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. If you were to come and visit me this morning, even though I've not been in, if we were to leave here now and drive to my school, you wouldn't see that. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a different school. And that's not very many weeks. Well, no, it's six maybe. weeks last half term, two weeks before Christmas, and then last week. So eight, nine weeks, something yeah. like that. Yeah, but it's about reintroducing a very clear, only three rules, behaviour policy that's very simple and that's stuck to by everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, not, well, I'm looking after my class because sometimes, again, a school in special measures and I've worked in them. 
you think, right, I've got to look after me and my class and just look whatever else. You do whatever you need to do. You do whatever you need to do. That kid's running around. Well, it's not my class. It's not my problem. And the shutters come down. Yeah. And I've seen too many staff. And they're right. In some respect, I've initially, you know, they're working very hard, but they're working very hard on what they can do to solve their problems. Well, I need to solve all of their problems. And I say to the staff, you're the good cop, as it were. You work with the children day in, day out, chalk face. I'm the bad cop. I'll deal with the issues. I'll speak to the parents. I'll liaise with other, other agencies. Mm. I'll do all of that. You focus on teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And what I guess what they don't realise is when they're doing that and they're being very insular and they're just sorting their class out, then things aren't consistent, are they? And, and it's no. like having, you know, if you had six classes, it's six mini schools. Or if we have that kind of thing here, it's like, yeah, this this department, this new department is like a little company and you have to let us help you yeah. to get it the way we need it to be for everybody else. That's it. And there has to be that joined at working. Well, yeah. what we've all of a sudden got is, uh, again, um, UPS teachers, Right, you get a, a nice extra bit of money mm-hmm. and you have to so show that you're not just at the teacher standards, you're above and beyond the teacher standards. Yeah, yeah. I've got, um, in my two form entry school, 15 UPS teachers. Now, some of them are part-time, so there's two that job share. That, I was uh, going to say, how is that even yeah. possible? <laughs> um, and then there's another two that job share. You know, So there's a bit of job sharing going on there. But I've only got three teachers that are not UPS teachers. Right, yeah. Now, I'm not saying the previous head teacher was just going like that with UPSs, mm-hmm. but it was like, uh, I, so I spoke to one, one colleague when I first got there. How did what, what did you do to get UPS? Oh, I filled in a form. Mm. Right. So it's not about saying, well, you don't deserve the UPS. It's like explaining what a UPS means. What does a base scale mean? And, and, and sort of getting that value for money. What are you doing over this teacher in the next classroom that doesn't mm. have a UPS? Because I can't see any difference at the moment. Yeah. Now, my PS at Rainville very easily bought into the fact that we needed to challenge the behaviour, we need to do things. And the behaviour at dinner time, if that's challenged, is instantly better in lesson time. Because yeah. when I visited the school, there was a line of kids outside the head's office and there was children being spoken to in tears at dinner in the corridors after, after lunchtime. Yeah. Whereas I go out and do a dinner duty every day I don't have to, I'm not there now, it's still fine. It's sowing that seed, so it's, it's good. So what they do is all the UPS teachers give me one 20-minute duty a week at dinner time. Mm. I don't ask for a lot and they run one club before, after school, lunchtime, for a short period of time if they're only part-time and so on. And that's had a huge impact because, again, they're getting to know different groups of children, they're out and about. There's not just, without, with the greatest of respect to, to some lunchtime supervisors who are not you know, employed by the school throughout the day who don't know the children as well, they're not of the same level of expertise and training as some of the others. And again, with the greatest respect, because my wife's a teaching assistant, some of the teaching assistants don't pull that same amount of weight as a teacher to some children. I'm not saying they're not as important because they are vital in schools, but some children don't see that level of respect and authority. That made a big difference. So I implemented that where I am now at Carling Howe and the UPS teachers were fabulous. They just went, yep, fine. We can see the logic behind that. We'll take it on board. So they've all taken it on and instantly the behaviour is better. So I've got Khalil who's doing a fantastic job. He's the assistant head. In terms of being in charge of the curriculum, which wasn't doing anything, he's in charge of behaviour. Now, he was instantly a bit worried about, well, does that mean I'm going to go around shouting at children all day long? What he does on his Monday leadership time is he goes and grabs this kid or that kid and just pulls them out and says, I've heard last week you had a great week. Yeah. I was really pleased to hear that you'd done X, Y and Z. Yeah. Or, I've heard that it was a bit of a dodgy end to the week. Just talk to me what happened. How can I help you make this week better? Yeah. And by him being a positive role model and being proactive, he's making a massive difference to the behaviour in that school. Yeah. And he won't realise how much he's doing it, but it means a lot to me. And all the other staff that go out, and Barbara, my deputy, she goes into the dining hall every dinner time yeah. and she makes sure that it's calm and cool so the children eat in a nice, cool, calm dinner in yeah, an yeah. order environment. There's no yeah. food fights like there used to be. Wow. Because <laughs> during my first week there as interim head, I got the phone call on the Friday that HMI were coming in for a monitoring visit on my second week as interim head. With all that behaviour that was going on, it was like, oh, good. 
Yeah. So t tell me about that then, because you told me about that on the phone. <laughs> it was <laughs> about like, the story. It was like, oh, yeah. Okay. There's, there's, it was that love-hate kind of thing. I was like, yes, that was great, because it means I can have a blank canvas, a, a black-and-white version of this is what the school needs to do and so on. Because in July 2018, it went into special measures, and it had to convert to become an academy, which it does on the 1st of April. So the school had a number of issues, behaviour, the curriculum, leadership management and so on and so forth. There's been mm. not many turnaround in staff. I was brought in because then the substantive head teacher left. Um, and it was the, the, that, that side of me that said, right, it's great, gets a blank canvas. And the other side of me was like, oh, really? Yeah. You know, just give me a few weeks and, and so yeah. on. The local authority sort of tried to put them off because mm -hmm. it's a little bit becoming an academy because you can delay it. But... Yeah. Um, they said, we haven't got a firm date yet because it was allegedly the 1st of January, then the 1st of February, then the 1st, so on. Mm. So they said, we're coming in. <clears throat> so I embraced it. The lady that came in was a very intelligent woman. She knew so much about the school before she mm -hmm. even got there. You can tell she'd done her homework and her background on it. Very articulate. And it was really useful. So it, it wasn't a full new version of Stead. It was still two days, but it was mm. one person. And it was more of a shallow paddle than a deep dive. And I thought when she'd explained this, what was going on, I, I came up with this terminology, shallow paddle. She says, oh, no, we banded it around Ofsted for a long time. I thought I'd coined something. But, so she came in, she had a clear view of what, what she wanted to focus on, and she did um, some joint observations with, with her and myself. There wasn't much point doing many lesson observations because I'd already got a grasp of where the level of teaching was at. Yeah. Um, we saw what the areas of weakness were, um, and we saw that there were some strengths. Um, and I talked about what I wanted to do and... The off, we, we then we then got the summary and the feedback. The local authority got um, didn't come out very well because of the how did not supported the school on the journey particularly well. Mm -hmm. Although I have to say, Kirk Lee, since I've been there, I've done a fantastic job of supporting the school, and yeah. uh, David's come in and, and been really useful, to, a really good guide. Um, the governors got got uh, came out very badly because they appointed some people that were, shouldn't have been appointed against local authority advice and so on. So they're now gone. There's an IB which comes to meet me hopefully next week, an interim executive board. So yeah, that's yeah. what happens when the, the governing body goes. And then the report, there was two positives in the report. One was the new change in leadership. Me. Yay! <laughs> um, even though it's got mine, it, dear Mr. Midgley, your school is, is not very good, blah, 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 blah. I thought I've only been, it does acknowledge that I've only been in place a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other positive was the fact that I work for a, a really supportive, positive trust now, the Greenland Multi Academy Trust. Uh, which has a skit, a research school, the English hub that Helen runs. It's got two fabulous head teachers in Helen and Fiona at Greetland and Westvale. We've got another school joining us. I can't say who it's top secret. Uh, we're excited about that. There's Carling Howe joining. Oh, there's my wonderful school as well in Leeds. We've, yeah. We joined a year ago. Um, so I've been able to draw on lots of expertise. So yeah. although I was there, it was kind of lonely and hard to start with. Um, I was able to join on SLEs and LLEs to come and support this mm. wonderful lady, Jill Robinson, who's a CEO of a Special Needs Multi Academy Trust in Kirk Lees, came over. And she's a phenomenal OBE, but she doesn't shout about it. She was fantastic. <laughs> and the guidance I got from her and the support I've had from my CEO, Amanda, has been second to none. Yeah. You know, I know that even if she's in the middle of a meeting, I can just pick up the phone and say, look, I've got this going on. I've, I've been assaulted. Does this happen? Does that happen? I know what I'm doing as a substantive head teacher and a head teacher of 13 years' experience. But it's always valuable to know that there's someone at the end of a phone. Because yeah. even though I've been there, seen it, done it, I'm the interim head. And some kids have been using that. And we are You can't tell me what to do. Right, yeah. And some staff, it's like, well, how will they take me? Yeah. Thankfully, the staff have been really receptive. And there's been a few changes in staffing. And there's a few more coming up. But it's taking the school on to the next level of the journey. And it's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. But it's, it's very hard. Um, 
you know, I'm, I am there at seven every morning, but that's just because I'm an early bird and I get up and I don't like travelling. But I can get all my paperwork done first thing. Yeah, when and you're then, interrupted. And then I'm up and down the corridors, up and down the corridors in and out of classrooms, popping in and saying, hello to so-and-so, you, I've heard you had a great day yesterday. Like you, like you mentioned when you were a supplier, when Mungo used to yeah, pop yeah. in. It's that sort of thing, even though they're the substantive teachers, I want the kids to see that I'm there every day. It's the whole visible thing, isn't it? Well, I've used Correct. that word. Um, and, and at great schools that I've been at, you know, leadership, especially the head teacher, has been visible, and mm. I think that's such an important thing. Whereas two schools I've worked at that have gone at special measures, the heads had to do every other Friday off for a paperwork day, whatever yeah. that means, and he, and then spends most of the time in their office. And yes, I, I don't get I've that. I've seen that as well. I don't get yeah. that. Yeah, one of the schools you mentioned, but I'll, I'll tell you after which one that was. Yeah. Um. So, right then, I, I feel like you've already touched on it, but um. You might want to say some more. What What do you feel the most common reason is for a school being in special measures? Hmm. Although behaviour is, is, is a common thread through the schools that have been in special measures, behaviour isn't a reason for a school to go into special measures necessarily because that comes from a long time of poor teaching, poor leadership, poor management. And I think at the end of the day, you have to kind of... I'm a football fan like, like like Mungo talked about and the analogy is you've got so many managers that get sacked because of the performance of their thing and it's and it's easy in a football management career to sack them mm. and then when you become a new head teacher if you become a new football manager you can be able to say right you fought out on loan you fought contracts in the dirt like you and I'm buying this one this one this one and this star yeah, name in yeah. you can't do that as a head they kick a leather ball around at the end of the day no. we deal with children yeah. I'm not saying I want to come in and get rid of a load of teachers I don't I don't like that but if the teachers, again, come back to that being into the shutters have come down, if they're working like that, they feel like they're on their own battle, the head isn't fighting their corner for them, the leadership team aren't supporting them, they're not getting the PPA time, mm. their life-work balance is not appropriate. Yeah. They're going to feel a bit devalued. Mm. I like to think I value all of my staff and, and they feel appreciated, they want to work for me. Um, not because of who I am, but because of how I have the school. And it's not down to me. I've not been there hardly this half term. And Gina and Jane, my deputies, have done a great job because Rainville is still going from strength to strength. Mm. I'm very lucky I've got some fabulous teachers and a team that's working there. And they know, again, if there's an issue, they can give me a bell. But the, the thing that takes special, schools into special measures almost is communication to a degree. Because mm. if the head isn't communicating his or her vision, if it isn't shared, or if the deputies are going out, my deputies can disagree with me in my office. But once it's said outside, I'm always right. That sounds a bit arsy to a degree, but do you know what I mean? No, I, I, but, but, I'm CEO, I completely understand. But, you know, if they were to leave the office and start going around going, oh God, Andrew says we've got to go Managed and do this. Managers would have to be on the same page as Correct. You. Now, if they come in and say, why are you asking us to do this? Well, I think, and we have that dialogue, and yeah. I have changed my mind. I'm not always right. Yeah. You know, but outside that door, Open to challenge, once we've had that, in the right way. correct, and, and that's about how it is. You know, I value it. So, Kathy, my year six teacher, I'll go and have a chat with her. She's been there for, uh, I think, three thousand years. Yeah, she is an amazing member of staff, and I love her to bits. And I can get her in and have a chat with her about various things, and she'll tell me anything that I need to know about staff morale. Oh, this isn't working, or that isn't working. Mm. And I think morale is is a big thing. And Gugsy used to be a big believer of, of staff morale. We did lots of after school events and weekend mm. things, and. Uh, we, I've taken when I was the head at Deanfield that we, we had a school minibus so we've gone up to the Lake District and some people have wanted to go on the little boat and put around Ambleside and have a coffee and a, and a slice of cake and then Lorraine and me and a few of the others we've gone off and abseiled and kayaked yeah, yeah. and then we go out and have a curry and some beers or wines or whatever and then go back to the youth hostel and collapse for the night yeah. and that side of things you learn so much more about other people it's not well you didn't come you're not part of the team now yeah. but I think some form of team building and acknowledgement works 
when we got the award for being in the top 50 schools in England, the mm. governors approved a little bit of money to go and celebrate. And we hired out um, a venue up at the top of North Halifax at Pub Moorlands. Oh, yeah. Right little... Yeah, we had our um, awards night there, yeah. There you go. Well, we had this little function room at the back and we yeah. went there. But we had everybody there, not just me and the deputies. And the we had the yeah. governors there. We had the dinner ladies, the cleaners, the cooks. Yeah. We had the guy who came in and did some PE coaching with us. We had all yeah. local people that had done things for our school because everybody, it's a whole huge community, the speech and language lady. Yeah. All those kind of things make a big difference. And if you've, you've got to value every single employee. I remember when I was being interviewed for Rainville, mm-hmm. I came in and the other, the other candidate went and sort of started talking to all the teachers and just sat at the teacher. I went on the staff room and I went and talked to everybody because it's not just about the teachers in the school, it's every single person in the mm-hmm. school. And I'm great friends with Diane, my site manager. You know, we, we, we have a, 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 a more banterish relationship than I would have with some of the teachers. I'm always professional, mm-hmm. but it's about knowing everybody and valuing everybody in the school, knowing what's going on in their personal lives, mm-hmm. who's maybe had a miscarriage, who's maybe going through IVF, who's maybe going through a difficult divorce or whatever at home, whose child has just won an award and the celebrations and the, the positives that go with stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and it's, and it's understanding how those impact. I feel like I've certainly learned a lot about all sorts of different issues um, and like like the IVF one, for example. I actually stopped, um, I stopped doing supply that year and then we had IVF and, and I remember saying it's a good job I'm not doing supply because I'd been cancelling it because every every other morning you, you're there having your appointments and it, yeah. that's it and I, I used to think actually this would be a massive impact on school if I were in teaching then absolutely um, because you, you know you've got to cover the class haven't you they yeah. don't get in till 11 o'clock and then um, but it's not it's like they're doing thing. it on purpose it's being no, mindful no. Of, of what they're also going through if that doesn't, isn't successful absolutely and um it's very stressful. Yes. And then on top of the stress of all the teaching and everything else you've got to prepare. It's, yeah. It's really And little difficult. Johnny's kicking off in the corner that day because he's had a meltdown at home because he hasn't had any breakfast. Or... Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then you're like, oh, I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, get on with it. You're fine. It's, it is yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, okay. So in terms of behaviour, you've talked about your three rules. You've talked about using your deputy head to be a positive role model. Any other things that you want to say about how do you turn around behaviour? Well, one thing that, that was massively missing and still is to a degree at Carling Howe is, is the hook, if you like, the so what. You know, at Rainville, we now have many, many sporting things. And one thing I set up very quickly at Deanfield with the support of Lorraine, the learning mentor, is we went from entering no sporting competitions to entering almost everything going mm-hmm. and doing the great young voices, great voices, something like that. It's called the singing one. Yeah. And then drama opportunity and reading poetry. So all these mm. different things, because some child's going to be interested in something or going on a trip to the sculpture museum. Yeah. So setting up these valuable experiences. And when little little Bob, who isn't behaving particularly well, who is your star footballer, he's saying, oh, I'm sorry, you're not going on the football team. The football mm. team's gutted for him. He's gutted for him. Yeah. Uh, and he come along. And he came along. I, I actually came joint top of the league, but won it on goal difference. It was planned. Uh, joint top <laughs> of the league because I didn't let him play. Yeah. But I tell you what, he never missed a piece of reading homework again. He never, yeah. you know, spoke to the teacher like that again. So there's, there's there's things like that that you need to have a hook there. You've got to have something that keeps... It's not just turn up at nine, go away at three, and there's not much to do. There has to be something in it for them. Correct. And it's lunchtimes. What do you do at lunchtimes? Well, we now have a sporting company come, so a few lunchtimes a week, and they run sporting activities. And again, coming back to Khalil, he, he said to me the other day, just, you know, it's nice to have people that can think on their own feet. Yeah. He said, right, I noticed that the year three, four were using the mugger. This was happening there. Mm-hmm. And I took a group of year sixes into the hall just to do some fun activities in the hall because we've got a dining hall and a sports hall. Yeah. He said, I hope you don't mind. I said, oh, I'm really annoyed you didn't talk to me about it first. Because he said, 
what? No, no. I said, it's brilliant because you've actually used your initiative. Yeah. You've got those kids and actually I've had no behaviour issues this lunchtime. Yes. So why would I be annoyed? Yeah. And then Dean, my year six teacher, he says, And then you've well, got well, good learning in correct. the afternoon. School had banned Pokemon cards, but actually we've got Pokemon cards on a Friday because on a Friday lunchtime he runs a Pokemon club. So yeah. he does that side of things. So again, the kids have got a hook, but you can't come to his Pokemon club if you're not behaving, if it's not this. Yeah. And we set up a pastoral room. So the one or two kids that really do challenge, who maybe have an EHC as well for it, who've got a particular diagnosis of whatever it is, they know there's somewhere that, where they can go, where they can bury their head in a pillow. Uh, that sounds bad. They suffocate themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, throw themselves in a beanbag, do some Lego therapy. So there's something where they can have that unwinding thing rather than when I came there what the school had is a room about this size that was empty no furniture and the kids were just put in there so they could run around basically ran and kick that wall and run and kick that wall and kick the radiator and kick that wall and I said if you have this room that's what they will do so that's now a staff um, we call it the learning hub so where the teachers have got all the things that they can go and learn from EEF stuff in there and that's where they do the PPA about what we're going to do with these kids well I'm so confused you have that room <laughs> I didn't set it up, obviously. No, no, no. It was like, well, let's have some nice bright coloured resources. And um, yeah. Carla, uh, she's organised £1,000 from the virtual... We've got eight looked after children at our school, which is quite high. Yeah. So we've got £1,000 funding from them, thankfully, to set up some more things in there, some like little bubble tubes. And yeah, yeah. So it's like a calming environment. And then we've got two rooms like that now, two nurture rooms. Yeah. We've got a lot, of, a lot of children who are in wheelchairs and are physically handicapped at my mm. school. And they were in this room, again, about the size of this, but with no windows to the external room, external what, external life to the world yeah and we moved them into an old not an old classroom because the school's only 10 years old uh, an empty classroom that was just a dumping ground mm. and then how all the freedom and space of some of our most vulnerable learners you should see them at lunchtime the smiles yeah. on their faces it's just fabulous and they're able to do wow. these things well all that reduces the amount of issues for behavior the thing is in some senses what we're talking about is common sense <laughs> yes Investing and being proactive rather than yeah. reactive. Rather than going, oh, Bob's it, Johnny again. Let's get Bob and Johnny in. Well, how yeah. can I stop Bob and Bobby and Bob and Johnny hitting each other? What can I do that's proactive? What can I set up in place? Because it's Johnny often the going that. in, going out, or the lunchtime or the break times. Yeah. Because when you've got good teaching going on, it generally doesn't happen in the classrooms. Mm. Okay. I've got loads of questions from the staff now. They like, <laughs> they like to write the questions. So Betty wants to know, this is a tricky question, so how do you manage to transform a school and inspire the staff who work there to be on board when they already feel demoralised? Good question, Betty. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of the stuff that I've already talked about is the way that we sort of transform the school, but I touched on it earlier. I said, depending on, I've never worked in a school where nobody's worked hard. Mm. Everybody's working hard, but if, you, if you're in that insular way and you don't feel valued, you're working hard focusing on you and your classroom, you're not bothered about the corridor, the hall, you're, not, you're only focused on your class in assembly, you're not bothered about there, but... It, and again, it's about getting to know the staff, making sure that they know what they can do, that they feel valued. And uh, I've come across some staff that, when, when I came to this current school that I'm at now, that I, I sat down with a head teacher before the summer when I was doing local leader of education support work, and we looked at the staffing structure for next year, and he went through, this is a good teacher, this one isn't, this one is, this one isn't, this one is. And a, a member of staff, for example, that he said was not a good teacher, is actually doing a phenomenal job right now. Mm. It's about making the know, first and foremost, I'm here to do the rubbish jobs, right? The behaviour's an issue in the school. Well, that's the head teacher's responsibility. That's an issue in school. That's head teacher's responsibility. So I'll take all of those jobs off you. I won't make you do meetings and meetings for meetings sake. They have key stage meetings and staff meetings every week. Well, we don't need that. Yeah. Your time is valuable, so you have this time to do it. And as well, everyone had PPA at their own time, and they were told that they could have PPA at home because the head did. Now, it's difficult when you're saying you can't go home anymore for your PPA because that's like a bit, well, actually, I like going home early on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... 
what I'm going to do is you're planning with the other teacher in that year group, so you're working together, and that's yeah. what workload is, not having it at home. That isn't yeah, workload. Yeah. So we talked about that, and they bought into that. And then we looked at what people's strengths are. Again, the previous head teacher had gone, right, you, oh, you can now do geography, you're doing maths, you're doing history. Well, the, the expertise is not leading the subject, so you don't have yeah. subject expertise. So we looked at that, so the staff Especially have told me... Especially when you've got RE and you really don't want to do it. Yeah, so the staff have now told me what you've got. I mean, as soon as I found out I'm a bloke who plays a lot of sports, who does an engineering degree, in, in every school I've worked at nearly, I've been the DT coordinator and, and PE coordinator yeah. by default. Oh, you can have PE and DT. Oh, right, I'm coming in a tracksuit then. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's about acknowledging what their strengths and weaknesses are and what their worries are. Mm. So I've sat down with the teachers. We have those one-to-ones. And again, your Cathy's of this world are valuable. My Cathy, the year six teacher who knows everybody in the school, she will tell me what's going on. It's, it's nice having that year to the ground who's a supportive member of staff. Yeah. Not a, oh, have you heard about this? And it's not gossiping. It's about yeah. supportive things going into place. So again, I talked to the, the deputy, the two assistant heads, what's going on. I talked to uh, the uh, six, uh, the year five, six key stage manager, uh, Asma. She has such a great knowledge of that school, of that community that was really vital to me. And then I looked at sort of attendance records and why were people off of the attendance for the staff has shot up. There's yeah. one or two that have still got serious long-term health issues that there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah, I don't have that magic wand, but then... If you're, if you're coming to school and, and, and morale's low and behaviour's poor and you don't feel valued, if you've got that cold, you know, you're more likely to, to, to have man flu than just a bit of a cold, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And, and you might think, well, I feel a bit rough today. I'm not going to go in. I'm not saying t- people are doing that, but I've seen that. Yeah. And, and, and by valuing people, by acknowledging things... <clears throat> Am I saying, I believe in you. What can you do for me? What can I do to help you? And let them know that. That hopefully yeah. helps the morale of the people there. Yeah. It's about well-being, isn't it? Yes. The, the podcast episode that's coming out tomorrow um, is with Sunita Bagri. And she she talks about well-being being well, feeling well all the time. Yeah. And, and it's the same kind of thing. If they don't have a sense of well-being, if they feel ill, there's no capacity to feel ill. No. So they're actually going to feel more ill than they actually feel. Yes. Sense. So... Lindsay wants to know, what do you think the most important quality is for a good leader? I think, in a sense, communication. You've got to lead by example. You've got to be a good role model, etc., etc., etc. I think communication, they say that communication is the mother of all some things. And I firmly believe that. If you communicate well, then you've got to communicate your vision, values, your view of how you want to lead the school, of how you are that bus driver for that analogy, whatever it may be, yeah. with the staff with all groups of staffing, not just the teachers, with all of the staff, you want your business manager to feel that she's buying into something as well, for example. You've got to communicate that vision, views and values to the children. Mm. And again, we're talking nursery children understanding you and year six children understanding you. You've got to communicate that to your parents. Mm -hmm. What are they getting with you? I mean, one mum said, when I started to support work at this new school, I only came here because they had a male head teacher. It's the only male I teach in the area. What am I supposed to do now? It's like, well, I'm only gone for a bit. I am back. And it's this, it's not about a male. I'm not any better than a female. Yeah. I, you know, I'm more hairy in some respect. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like I'm any better. Just my two deputies are fabulous. So I put that to bed. Communicating with your governors. Communicating also with the community. You know, I, I like to walk out and about my school. We used to have to, before we went cashless, I used to go and pay the money at the bank. Mm-hmm. But if I had to go and see someone, a vulnerable family... Sometimes there's school phobic. Rather than them coming to me, I'll go to them. Yeah. And I might walk past a few people and have a chat in the local community. I know the local shop owners. I know the yeah, guy who runs yeah. a post office. It's about communicating with the other schools in the area. So my family yeah. of schools, although I'm an academy, I'm still outward looking. Um, communicating with them. There's some fabulous head teachers that we can work with. You know, mm. Ruth, the head at uh, Bramley St. Peter's up the road from us, 
my school in Leeds had no internet last week. Mm. BT is saying it's the router, the router says it's so and so forth. Anyway, oh, it's BT. my head's been able to use her phone to forward things to Ruth, who very kindly is photocopied. Yeah. And again, we've got that relationship because we communicate well for each other and Ruth mm -hmm. knows we'd be there for her, so does all the other schools in the local area. Communicating well again with the high schools because I want to know that my year sevens who left us last year, the year eights that left us two years ago, when they still come to pick up big brothers and sisters, they'll come because mm -hmm. they've gone out of high school, the shirts come out, they know when they come in my gate, they the shirts back in and they say hello, Mr. Mission, we shake hands and we yeah. have a good conversation. We have banter because it's a school in Leeds and they're all Leeds United fans and I'm a Huddersfield fan and we're hopefully not being relegated this season and they're hopefully getting out of our division. But the season we went up, we did beat them <laughs> twice anyway. <laughs> but again, communication is key. Mm. And if you're communicating the wrong message, if you if, if it's crossed wires, that's when problems cause. Or mm. you might think that I've communicated one way with you and one way with another one. You might think that I've been inappropriate or out of yeah. order. So it's that consistency of communication. I know there's loads of other skills a leader needs to have, but I think communication is vital in a school mm -hmm. or any organisation, really. Yeah, I guess especially for the whole turnaround thing, like we were saying about these insular classrooms. Yes. Yeah, this you is know, how we're going to, to do be it. On yeah. board with what you're doing, don't you? Yeah, and I was look. I, I had it organised. I was going to take my school that I'm at now supporting to my current school to see. Although it's, when it snowed the other day, the first Monday back after half term, it snowed, and I, it took me an hour and a half to get to Leeds, and the minibus was stuck, so I couldn't. Well, the theory is that they're going to come to my school and learn. I spotted another head teacher, part of our trust, and their, their staff from Westvale came to our school for mm. the day. And they're fabulous. There's some teachers there are flying, not just because they come here, but they could see the light. Mm. You know, cheesy, I know, but they could see what it looks like, you know, and, and sharing mm. that. And again, that's about communication, what, what it will look like. Here's one we made earlier. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I just realised I missed a question out, so I'm just going to ask it, you know. Um, how do you ensure then that marketing in your school isn't onerous so they could do the majority of it at school? Well, first of all, most of our marking is done live marking, we call it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in the class because... If you need to sit down with the red group and work with the red group that day, that's absolutely fine. But then there's a teacher and the teacher assistant. They both mark with green or purple pen and the kids respond in green or purple pen. I know we've, you were joking on another podcast about colours and it's not about, I don't want three million different colours. It's yeah, just yeah. the kids right there, it's marked in one colour, so it's different and not yeah, the red. Yeah. It's interesting, the school I'm at now in special measures, the teacher's marked in red, the teaching assistant's marked in blue, the children responded in, the children, and it was like and it was like a class system. I'm a teacher, I can mark in one colour, you can only mark in... Um. Anyway, so <laughs> we, we try and do live marking, and then the marking's picked up again in the afternoon if need mm -hmm. be. Uh, you know, so they might start a geography lesson up, uh, and it's going, and then they can pick up some things in the morning if they need to do. Yeah. Um, we Sam, my literacy manager, um, she leads reminder training on it every year, which since we instigated it, we revamped the marking policy. So rather than writing three stars and a wish and mm. all this stuff, which was the key things at the time, it was the buzzwords, wasn't it, and that side of things, it's mm. just VF for verbal feedback. Schools will have it, I for independent or whatever it may be. So there's yeah. a code, a very brief code. The kids understand it, the teachers understand it, it's displayed on the classroom walls. A supply teacher coming in has it there on a laminated A4 sheet. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's, again, consistency, communication, yeah. it's, it's ease of access. I don't want teachers spending hours marking, I want teachers being ace teachers. Yes. It's that simple. Yes, I love that. I said, to, did I say to you on the phone that you were making me want to go back into teaching? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to because no. I do like this job. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, yeah. And I like my job, that's why I'm not going back into teaching. <laughs> Although I do teach because I'm the head teacher. But that's also another thing that I noticed at the great schools that I've been around in Calderdale that, you know, often it was, um, they had, they were into sports the head would spend time and take responsibility for some teaching. Um, mm -hmm. At one of the schools I was at, I remember 
the head teacher used to do booster classes for SATs yep. um, because they were good at maths and they knew what they were expecting out of those children. It wasn't, oh, well, I'll listen to my year six teachers. They actually knew what what they were going to expect when it came to the SATs. Exactly. And, and, and although it's not teaching in a sense, every after school, we, we, we do a Thursday club after school. Mm. And it's linked to Leeds West Academy where all the primary schools go and compete in tag rugby, sports, yeah. netball, whatever it may be. I will drive the minibus every Thursday after school. Paul might teach the rugby team. Robbie teaches the football team. Adele takes the netball team. Yeah. I teach the girls. I did the girls' football team, who came third in Leeds overall, which is fabulous. That's very but good. I, I'm I'm there as the backup, just coach driver, and again yeah. the role model. I'm seeing the kids in a different light, and yeah. every single one of our year sixes competed externally in something last year and the year before. Sixty kids, which is fabulous. And I go swimming every Thursday, and I get in the pool. Wow. My HLTA is. A Qualified lifeguard. She does the coaching of the of, of one group, but we are uh, we do twice a week, so we Monday and Thursday. So the kids who've never been to a pool before, it's quite a ten week turnaround thing. Yeah, I get in the pool with them, and we just have a bit of a mess around in the shallow end, just to get them not being waterphobic. Or they'll sit yeah. and splash me, and and that yeah. builds up the confidence. And then they go on swimming, and then the instructor teach. I don't teach them. Yeah, uh, no, I can't do <laughs> You're that. Just getting a mess around. Yeah, not a really good job. De-stressing <laughs> on a Thursday. I've been there since seven in the morning, and it's two <laughs> o'clock that I go, and then I get home with with my wet hair, and I go straight and out to the sports club. <laughs> And that's Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, it's just, the long days, but but, but it, again, it, I love it. Yeah, well, and and it shows, which is really good. And um, okay, so what are the key areas to get right then in a school in order to turn it around? Do you think? Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about behaviour and communication already, so those mm-hmm. are two of the two yeah. of the key areas. Without those two, you sort of flawed. You have to have then good quality teaching and inspirational teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your teachers are just teaching mundane lessons, we have just before I came here, as you know, I was interviewing two potential student teachers for next year, and we asked them a sort of similar question about what what if we were observing in your class. What would you see? How would you get the kids? Intra- they talked about interactive lessons and you know showing that love. And if I didn't know the knowledge that I was teaching, I'd do the background knowledge beforehand. Mm. So it's about the teachers being well prepared, having that time to be well prepared. I think smiles is key. Mm. You know, I stand outside the front of my school on a morning and on an evening and I smile, it's good morning. When I first started at Dean Field, I got grunts. Like, mm-hmm. By the time I left, it was good morning, good morning. Even if it's chucking it down with rain, I'll stand yeah. out there and I get good morning. And it's about being positive. Yeah. You know, it's, life is hard enough without not smiling all the time. And so being positive, smiling, good role models, kindness. And again, teamwork, yeah. you, you know, you, you, we, talk, work, we talked earlier about working together, you've got to work together. Mm-hmm. And if you're struggling, I need to help you as the next door class teacher and vice versa. But then we yeah. need to sort of be able to pass that on to someone, just yeah. give so-and-so a, a check-up today. And, and, and it's, it's knowing that that's okay as well. I've worked in schools where you wouldn't want anybody to know anything, no. um, you know, because it's just, it's, it's a negative kind of festering. <laughs> This is it. I've I've worked in several schools where it's been like that, but then it's schools where, see, you know, I told you earlier, I left one school because I just didn't like working for the head. Well, his first meeting with me was nine o'clock on the morning, Saturday in January, walking in through my door, and I had shirt, trousers, shoes, socks, pants, and all something. I didn't have a tie on that day, but I mean, you know, I was still smart enough, and I was teaching year six, and he just walked in and he said, Mr. Midgley, isn't it? I said, Yes, good morning, Mr. So and so. And he said, "Uh, Where's your tie? Zishan at the back of the class is going, whoa, and I'm like, oh, God. And, you know, yeah. do I need that? My new head teacher coming yeah, in and his first meeting me, being disrespectful to me in a sense in front of my year sixes. Oh, of course. So yeah. me being a stupid 20-odd-year-old just said, oh, I've got, I've got more than one tie, which one are you referring to? If you want, I'll live five minutes down the road. You watch the class, I'll pop home and get one. And so <laughs> you can see why I chose to leave. Yes, I, I was maybe being a bit facetious, but 
I, I thought that was the wrong attitude to have, oh, you know. Yeah. So, you know, if you want people to work for you, you've got to have that respect for them as well. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe you should have said something uh, like, well, you know, I haven't worn it because I don't want it to become a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> what I did is when I got the next job at Berkeley, I then came in wearing like sandals and flip flops and shorts because it wasn't against the uniform policy. I just, yeah. I was a rebel. <laughs> You're not a rebel today. If you're listening on the podcast, we've got a lovely pink tie, which I really like when men wear pink ties because... I love pink. Yeah, it's, it's the mark of a real man to be able to wear pink. Yeah. Um, and you're wearing nice beige shoes. You just with, with monsters on my socks. Oh, monsters on his socks, you see? So um, he's definitely dressed for the occasion. He's not wearing a tracksuit, no. <laughs> even though he's referred to it three times. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then... This one's a hard question. Right. What qualities do you look for when building a strong team for a school? Off the top of my head, I think, I don't really know. It's, it's a very difficult question, that one. I suppose it's different depending on the school as well. It is, and it also depends on what you've got also, because you kind of want to, to, to complement things. I mean, going back to teaching at Deanfield, we had 60 applicants once. Mm. And it was like, right, well, I don't have anyone musical. So I had a slight waiting on the shortlisting to people who were musical. But they weren't very good, so I ended up appointing someone who was sporty. Again, yeah. it's hard to ask sporty things. Ideally, you want that sort of compliment. You want sort of youth. You want enthusiasm. You mm. want experience. Um, you want people who've had the, the time in one school, like Mungo, who knows everything about that school, but then you need people who've been here, there, and everywhere yeah. and have learned it from so many different schools. In, in short, the answer is I don't know, mm-hmm. purely because I think, it, like you said, it depends on the situation, on the school, and who's there in front of you. If I was interviewing these three people and actually I thought that person complimented me and you've got to know you've got to work with them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not go for a beer with them, it's work mm-hmm. with them. And if you can work with them, then you know that it's the right person. And sometimes I guess it'll be the same for you as it is for me. I mean, we've interviewed for one particular role three times and still not appointed anyone because mm. it's not right. Exactly. I once walked around, I think it was Thornhill or somewhere over that way when I was a teacher and I walked around the school and I had my little brown envelope with my application form inside it, mm. walked around the school, uh, shown around by the head teacher and I just thought, I, just, I do not want to work here. Yeah. At the end of the interview, she says, oh, have you got something for me? I said, oh no, I've got to post this for my mum, it's in my hand so I don't forget. There was yeah. no way I was giving her my application form. I thought, yeah. it's just not right for me. So it does work both ways. You know, if you, yeah. Some people will think, I, I enjoy some stupid people, Claire and Robbie and Ben came from my last school to this school. Some other stupid people came from Alaska. <laughs> yeah. They're idiots. They come and follow me where they go. Yeah. You know. Whereas uh, yeah, there are some people who probably think, I cannot wait to get away from this guy. But that, that's just life, isn't it? You, yeah. know, you, you, you want the people that work together well to work together. Yeah. And I also think as well, you can't predict the future, can you? So you could, you could plug a gap and then you could have someone else leave, which then sort of makes another gap. And then you could have someone presented in front of you who could fill those two gaps and Correct. you just... It's difficult, yeah. isn't it? You just you make don't your really own know. look, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay then. So, so many questions for you still, right? So, how do you deal? I'll be more succinct. <laughs> <laughs> how do you deal with external challenges from parents or the media, um, who could often be looking to blame the school for the outcomes? Uh, communication. Uh, you know, you've made it when you've been in the battle news, like I was the other week. Um, but they sent an email saying we're going to cover the fact that you just had a really poor offset. Well, the bottom line is, in fact, the schools had a poor offset. The school had done nothing. The authority hadn't done enough. The governors were not burdened enough. It was a very, very bleak picture. Yeah. But if you just sell that as a bleak picture, 
then, then, then everyone's going to think so negatively. You've mm. got to turn it around. Yeah. So I said, well, come in and chat with me. Come in and meet with me. They want to put a paragraph in an email. No, come and see the school. Come and see what's going on. Mm. So they came. We took some photographs of the kids. We talked. And I explained what we want to do. I explained how the trust that I'm working with has got these... That the English hub that's supporting, so we've already had a phonics audit, so we know what we're doing with that one. We talked mm. about uh, Salaya who comes in to support teachers, coaching and mentoring. So we talked about all that side of things, and we're like, wow. So we got two, two, two competing battling newspapers, I don't know which one's the bigger. But we got uh, them promoting some really positive press about it. Good. Parents as well, I, what I did is, again, when I was first there, I had an open session for parents where they could come in and meet with me. Mm. Um, out of the hundreds of parents that could have come, I got seven. So mm -hmm. better than none, I suppose. Yeah. But those seven parents that come, I said, look, I'm going to be open and honest. Here's the Ofsted reports. The previous head teacher's now gone. I'm now the interim head teacher. These are the things that I agree the school's not good enough at. What do you think we're not good enough at? And they mm -hmm. talked about uniform, how the kids look scruffy. So we now ask all the kids, as they should do, to tuck the shirt in. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's liaising with the parents because you hear all, too often about school stops, parents, stops children having chips or whatever it might be. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. It's bad press. They so always want to sort of bring teaching down. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's about being positive, being proactive, inviting parents in. And mm. when I was at Deanfield, we were, we were at the bottom of the league table, such bad press. And David Kirk was the one who sort of modelled how to do this for me. What we did is every other Friday, we got a group of parents that used to come in, one kid from every class, and then next week another one. We'd give them a walk up and down the school. We'd talk to them about the changes, even the minor changes, like building a wall over here and what we were doing about it. So... You've got to keep them involved. It comes back to the communication that I said earlier. Mm. Just communicate well. Yeah. I love that, getting them involved. Oh, yeah. Um, because sometimes, I guess, you have to encourage them to be involved rather than just expecting that they're just going to go, oh, mm. yeah. Well, otherwise, it becomes their view and their hearsay or their experience of school that's coloured. And if you've had a negative experience of school mm. as a parent especially yeah. in some of the communities that I work at, then they've got a negative view of school. And we don't want our children to be aspirational mums. We want our children to be aspirational people yeah. and then become a mum as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's about changing mindsets. But you do that by yeah. working with people. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay. So do you think that the new Ofsted framework has changed your approach? For the better, in some respects. I've heard, I've heard lots of people saying positives and negatives. Having worked, again, as I said, having worked in schools that are mainly in deprived areas and challenging areas and so on, when, you know, when Ofsted is focused on attainment, that doesn't help me mm. because I can have the best teachers in the world in front of all the classes for all the years and our attainment will never be as high as uh, schools where they fill with, like, friends like me who want to sit at home and do their yes, education yes. and all that sort of things with the children. Um, however, progress should be the key value, the key, yes. the key, the key sort of measure. And as long as it's done, done appropriately... I think that's that should be the big driver in that respect. And then it's is the teaching good quality? Is this is the curriculum appropriate? You know, our year ones, their geography is learning about brilliant Bramley. Mm. So we know, I mean they know where bargain booze is, first of all, <laughs> but they know where the post office, they know where this is, and they can yeah. start to draw maps. So it's and then it scales up. So the year sixes, they they've been doing some phenomenal work and we've just been published our geography and our history curriculum have both been published in a geography magazine and a and a teacher's magazine about the, the curriculum, and we've been supporting a school in Western Supermare, mm. a, a, a trust beach trust in Western Supermare. Uh, some fabulous heads down there we've been working with. And so Robbie, my um, curriculum development officer, he's been leading on that. It's been fabulous. Mm. So what was the question? I've gone off tangent, I think. I'm just looking now, because I'm just like listening. I'm just imagining this map. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been great. So, what is it? <laughs> Let me have a look. Oh, yeah. Do you think Ofsted 
the new Ofsted framework yeah. has changed your approach. He said yes for the better. Yeah, because it's made us focus on the, curric on the, on the curriculum and, and the impact. And we started it two years ago. Now we've launched our geography and history last year. And, the, and, and it's going to be continued developed. Now what we've done is we, we put a lot of our staff meetings aside to this. So there's a core group and then everyone else was involved. Mm. And so I know now that I could pick up a folder in year five or year four and all the geography and the history planning, resources, labels, links, and the knowledge organizers, as we call them, that's got all the key things are there. Mm. So that's reducing workload going forwards. Yeah. Because it's a big driver on workload. And I thoroughly agree with that. As someone who I believe work hard, play hard, I, I've got that life work balance, I think. Um, you know, my kids are the most important thing in my life, mm. just in front of Huddersfield Town. <laughs> just in front. Just in front. I love town. But no, it's, it's um, if, you, if you get all that sort of thing, so they're, they're focusing on making sure the curriculum's right. I agree with that. They're focusing on life-work balance. I agree with that. They're focusing on progress rather than attainment. I agree with that. They're doing these deep dives. Well, actually... You know, a previous head teacher I've worked with blamed, supported their school, blamed the fact that their Ofsted was done on sports day. Mm. And so that's why they failed their Ofsted. Well, it's got nothing, that's got nothing to do with how you're taught in January, February, March, and April, has it? The books tell the picture of how you're teaching, not mm. one day. And so there's a lot of things that are positive. I mean, Ofsted is a difficult thing anyway, you know, and certain mm. people like it, certain people don't. I've had five Ofsted visits now as a, as a head teacher. And although every one of them's caused me to go, oh, when you get the phone call, I've actually enjoyed it in a sad way mm. because it sort of values where you're at and it acknowledges what you're doing. And when you get the fact that I've, my school's gone from there to good without standing, it's like, yes. Yeah. My next challenge, I've never been the head teacher. I've worked in one with Gugsy. I've never been the head teacher of an outstanding school. So I would love to get Rainville to outstanding, not because I've ticked the boxes, but because I believe the education, I believe we're on that journey there, that mm. the kids have an outstanding education and that's what I'm aiming for now. Yeah, yeah. But to say that you've worked in so many schools with special measures and then got them to good is is a big thing. I think I've done well. all right. You've done very well. Um, okay. How do you manage to lead more than one school? <laughs> <laughs> By the fact that, first of all, I've got great people back where I am. So mm -hmm. when I was at Deanfield, I was doing Abbey Park two days a week and mine three. Mm -hmm. And then when that finished, I did Mount Pell in a day or so a week and so on. And so I had Jane, my deputy, she was fabulous. And it's about making sure you, you, you do the appropriate backfill. Now, it, it can work in your favour. I was an LLE, so I've got two teaching, two deputies who aren't class-based, but did like mm. booster groups and support. Well, for every year that I've been at Rainville, the, the cohorts have got stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. So we should be on for our record year six results again, mm -hmm. which would cross fingers and all that. Mm -hmm. And so on and so on. And the behaviour... Imagine they don't show all the schools. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, I would hate to have two weeks off schools. Um, it's two months in Dubai. Two months? Mm-hmm. Oh, what would I do with him? Oh, my Xbox would get overheated. I think they'll make everyone come to school in some holidays. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it, it, it's in a position now where, again, I talked about how many UPS teachers I'm lucky I've got. And again, the trust that I work for, um, what they've done is there's a, there's, a, there's a financial package that's gone to Carling Howe to support them and their head's wages because he's not there. So that goes into my school. So I, my deficit budget is now not a deficit budget. Right, the I teachers see. that were on a temporary contract, I've now been able to make permanent because she went off on maternity leave in February, one of them, for example. So she's a permanent member of staff mm -hmm. now. And my staffing structure is set up in such a way that FAMA Foundation Stage Manager can do support or so-and-so good. So me, there was always a capacity for me to do a couple of days. We've just tweaked it a bit and meant that I'm doing more. So my school's gained financially, which has mean that if we've needed a supply teacher or somebody or an extra body to cover something, we can do that. Mm -hmm. So it's not the worry. 
But it comes back from having the systems and the structures set up in place, two fabulous deputies, a wonderful staff that I work with and you know I enjoy working with, mm. that I can trust, going back to that other word, to do what they need to do. Thank you. Right, okay. Some closing questions for you now then. Um, so, if you could wave a magic wand and solve the life-work balance problem, what would you do? Uh, I think... Hmm, I think there should be a lot more money pumped into schools. Mm-hmm. Um, with, in some respects, some of it being dedicated for that sort of work-life balance with regards to... PPA cover with the rest of structures and I think we need areas of expertise not necessarily a sports coach or someone who's just computing but there are some areas in schools I mean I'm I'm really good at sports for example but I've got Laura Laura in my classes in my school is phenomenal at art Mm -hmm. so you need to top up what you've got and then have your PPA covered by areas of expertise having after school clubs covered by areas of expertise to really enrich the children's lives not just teachers who are there focusing Mm -hmm. on all that range of subjects in primary school And then also being able to provide experts that can come into school and out of school. Like when you, you, you get the emails as head teachers, oh, this Olympic athlete would love to come and talk to your school at a lot of money per day. This this artist would like to come in day. I'd love to take a lot of these up. Yeah. I can't afford to. Yeah. So let's get some of these in and let's get some of the inspirational things in which sort of yeah. can do these things. And and you know, it's too technology is great, but a lot of kids, even in my community, have got iPads, tablets, iPhones, mm. and whatever, and that cause its own problems mm. i think real life experiences and people who can talk getting these authors getting these charities getting these people into school which which i'd have to pay for yeah. to support that would give them so much wonderful experiences which means that the teachers aren't focusing too much on that they can teach from that mm. would support a lot of it in some respects yeah no i agree money and time isn't it yeah we need money and time money and time um okay where do you think education is going in the next 10 years <laughs> um it's, it's got to embrace the technological age. It's got to embrace the new offset side of things, but it'll just be a cycle. It'll come back to where it was before it, and it'll just keep doing that, and it'll just keep plodding on, and we'll always keep saying we don't have enough time, we don't have enough behaviour mm. management, we don't have enough this, we don't have enough that, and I think that's where it's going to go, and it will be there in another 10 years' time, another 10 years. I'm not being pessimistic because I am an optimist, but I just think you just need to crack on with it and just make the best of what we've got at the mm. minute and push for changes, especially yeah. the work-life balance, life-work balance. Yeah, I like life first. I do, I do. Capitals, big capitals. Okay, who was your favourite teacher at school and why? I thought about this because I listened to some of your podcasts and you asked this question. I was thinking, I can't really think of a favourite teacher. And I thought, well, it's this, it's that. I thought, well, in in, in some respects, this guy called Mr. Sharrock, who was the PE teacher at Honley High School, Mm -hmm. um, and he he knew when to be serious. He knew how to have a good laugh. And he was a really good teacher, inspired you. He played rugby a lot as well. He used to come in with a black eye and all this Mm -hmm. side of things. I just really enjoyed his lessons. I think maybe because I was sporty and sporty as well. But I thought he was a fab teacher, was Mr. Sharon. It was a nice school at Homley High School. I did quite a bit of supply there before I've, I moved I've to I've done supply there as well. Yeah. Um, okay. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Because it wasn't a teacher. It wasn't a teacher. You may guess this one. A footballer. Oh, of course. <laughs> I, I was thinking he must be an engineer because that's what he did your degree in. No, I had, a, I had a trial. I had a 10-week trial at Huddersfield Town. I was in the Terriers. That's my claim for fame, but I just wasn't good enough. Big donkey centre half. Um, I would have loved to have been a professional footballer um, and gone through my career that way. But no, not good enough. Yeah. And I can't sing, so I couldn't have been a rock star either. But also, in a way, that's nice that you had that dream as a child because mm. so many children do have that dream. Although now I think the latest one is a YouTuber. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, like my daughter. 
Oh, she wants to be a YouTuber. It's, yeah. it's a legit career now, you know. Oh, yeah, you've got plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know anything about it, though. No. No. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, we've talked about so many things. Mm. And, um, yeah, I think it's really, really valuable. And um, anyone's going to be able to turn a school around now. Thank you. <laughs> it's <laughs> all that information. <laughs> well, you know where I am. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Cheers, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I've been in a lot of schools. A lot. And one thing that stood out to me as a marker of a nice place to be is when the head teacher is involved. Involved with the children and break times and lunch times, covering lessons, always present and visible. And what a lovely thing to hear that Andrew is a walking example of that and believes it too. So my observations were not misguided. I guess that you can only really have a small insight into what it's currently like for teachers in terms of workload if you're actually doing it. And that's when you're going to take life-work balance more seriously and try to make lasting changes in the school. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, let's start sharing these episodes with colleagues and friends so that we can all learn together. You'll find everything that Andrew talked about in the show notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, then check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We've been securing some more fantastic guests for you. And if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can just let us know in our Facebook group called The Teachers Podcast Community. This episode is live on YouTube as well, so subscribe to the channel. And if you really love this episode, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.